Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Entangling vines. Case 33, Nansen's Sickle. Once, when Nansen Fugan was working in the mountains, a monk asked him, which way is the road to Nansen? Nansen held up his sickle and said, I bought this sickle for 30 coins. The monk said, I didn't ask about the sickle. Which way is the road to Nansen? Nansen said, I've tried this and it cuts very well. Good afternoon. On this first day of our spring summer Hoenji Threefold Sangha Universal Session, following on to what Shingiroshi said in her opening remarks yesterday. This is an endeavor of uncertainty. We don't know if we will be here tomorrow. Some of us don't even know if we are here. Frankly, many of us come to this practice to find out just something like that. What is this? What am I doing here? Why is this happening? I'm sure you could find podcasts that have exactly those titles nowadays and consume them on a daily basis, but it will not bring us any closer to finding a resolution of these questions for ourselves. We have to find out first hand, first eye, first heart, first body, first mind, first everything. And often when Tay shows like this begin, many of us tend to say, sitting in the seat, we are living in very interesting times. And that is something that has not changed over the many, many centuries of now. Whatever the challenges are that we meet 
they are ours. We have to make them ours. Running away from this moment, from what this is, is an enticing thought. It's an enticing feeling that one could escape or just rather be somewhere else than where we are. Yet this is where we are together in this breath, in this moment. Of course, we have to acknowledge we just have been living through the most severe pandemic in the last 100 years. Impermanence has shown us its sharp edge, cutting down what we know, who we know, who we loved. cutting our freedoms, making all kinds of changes. Yet we are here still. And it looks like things are changing. It would be easy to say things are improving, but already as soon as we say that, we have a stake that ties us to something that is fixated. We'll take this moment by moment, moment by moment, as we are, as the world is, as the meeting with this unfolding of the reality of the activity of Dharma happens. And the koan for today is just the right koan to talk through, to become, to investigate fully. So without any further delay, let us look at this fairly short case. Shumon Katoshu, Entangling Vines, a collection of koans, has brought us, or had, you, you have to listen to it, and I have to speak about it, to case number 33. It happens to be the first case where the main protagonist here, that is, who is named, Nansen Fugan, appears. I am... Sure, you have heard of Nansen, the most and best known case in which he appears. Is Nansen Katz, the cat. And it is interesting to see, again, we are meeting Nansen here today with a sharp implement in his hand. No cat around, but a monk. So before 
going into the case, let us pay some historical homage to where this case came from and who appears in it. The source for the case that we find in the Shumon Katoshu comes from a book that is called Go Ye Masamune Chan, in praise of the five houses of the true school in volume one. Now already the title of this, this compendium is interesting, the true school. It points to the time when the Zen school had to call itself the true school to distinguish itself among the many different kinds of Buddhist schools that were there in China. The case, nonsensical, appears not only here in the Shumon Katoshu, but also is case number 154 in the Shinji Shobo Genzo by Dogen Zenji. I'm sure that some of us have read the Shobo Genzo, but never came across this case. And there's often this kind of misunderstanding that uh, the Soto school does not use koans. Odogen was very, very well read into and into the practice of these ancient cases. So in fact, Shobogenzo is a book, actually it's two books. The main cases for the first version of this Shobogenzo, it's 300 koans. Ehe Dogen, who lived from 1200 until 1253, extracted from his extensive knowledge of Chinese Zen literature. Dogen Zenji was, of course, one of the first Japanese monks teaching Zen and transmitting it from China to Japan. He returned in 1228 to Japan. And during the earliest times of his teaching in Japan, he compiled the first book called Shobo Genzo, all in Chinese, purely Chinese characters. So this first version of this treasury of the true Dharma eye lists these 300 cases in which Nonsense Sickle is case number 154. The later instance of the Shobo Genzo, where we also have some wonderful translation by Edo Roshi, is the mixed version in which we find kanji and kana. So out of those 300 cases, 70 or so were selected amongst those essays that can be found in the Japanese, the kana version of the Shobo Genzo. So the koan is well known in the Soto school. In the Rinzai school, we only find it in the Shumon Katoshu. So let's see who, who is Nansen Fugan? Who was Nansen Fugan? One of the experiences that one gains by looking deeply into these backgrounds is becoming familiar with what are the names and what are the characters that are in the names. 
And this kind of examination at times is very fruitful. The name Nansen Fugan, we know that the first appearing name, Nansen, is the name that he received from the temple that he built, from the place where he taught. So there is a place called Nansen, the mountain Nansen. Nan means south. And Sen is a source, is a spring where the water comes out. So it's some kind of mountain in the south of something that has a source, a spring with fresh water. His ordination name, though, Fugan. Fugan, Fu, means universal. You might recall when we chant the Diamond Sutra, when we complete it, we chant the Fu echo, the universal echo. Here, same Fu, same character. And Gan is also a character that we know very well. So Fu Gan means universal vow. That Gan is the Gan in Fugan's name. Being a monk with such a name is quite something. Universal vow. So this Fugan lived from 748 until 835. He appears in at least 18 cases in Entangling Vines, the Shumon Katoshu, four cases in the Gateless Gate, the Mumonkan, in six cases of the Hekigan Roku, the Blue Cliff Record, and also, also in three cases of the Shoyo Roku, the Book of Equanimity. Nansen was born in the present-day province Henan. His family name was Wang. He became a, a, a novice at a local uh, temple at the age of nine in near, near where he was born in the province of Henan. He took the full commandments and became a fully ordained person at the age of 30. At first, like so many masters of that time, he devoted himself to the study of the Vinaya, the rules, the rule-based, the doctrine-based Buddhism. After that, he investigated the teachings of the Lankavatara Sutra and the Avatamsaka Sutra. Still not satisfied, he went on and became a member of the Sanlun school, which is a doctrinal school based upon uh, the Mahajamika thought of Nagarjuna and his followers. And fortunately, finally, he found his master, Baso Doitsu. In 795, after having succeeded Baso as his successor and after 
Basso passed away, Nansen set out to build himself a hermitage on a mountain in the south that had a spring on it. That's how he acquired the name Nansen. He remained on that mountain for 30 years. Famous 30 years, meeting us so often in this Zen practice. Nansen, Joshu, his successor, tending the grave of Nansen for 30 years. Many years times 30. In 828, a governor by the name of Lu from a city in the same province asked Nansen to come to town and teach. They developed a good Dharma friendship and the governor actually became a Dharma heir and successor of Nansen Fugan. Trying to be in the mountains in solitude did not work out so well because, as we know, many people found Nansen and came and joined him at his hermitage. Among his important successors, I should just name two. One is Chosa Keshin, and the other one, the golden-lipped Joshu Jushin, who we all know from many cases such as Mu, the first case of the gateless gate. So what do we know about Nansen's character, Fugan's character, this kind of deep devotion to what he was doing, going to study the Vinaya in an attempt to become more accomplished, to live in accord with those rules is a very deep-seated motivation to enter the spiritual path. Here, this gives you a little insight in what Fugan thought of, of himself. So in one story, Fugan is said to have visited a home of a nearby aristocrat. The evening before the master arrived, the local earth deity informed the aristocrat that Nansen would be coming. So the Lord made some preparations. When Nansen learned after the visit how the Lord had found out that he is coming, he lamented bitterly because. I lack power in my own practice. Gods and demons spy on me. It's a wonderful sentiment. I know sometimes we feel that, oh, why doesn't the miracle happen? Wouldn't it be nice to be announced by the local earth deity? Well, nonsense wouldn't have any of it. Gods and demons spy on us all the time. Sometimes they look like little cameras or like little microphones. And they are very, very well equipped to remember everything they see and hear. 
We could call it a demon. We could call it a God. We can play in this wonderful world of impermanence, which is an important aspect also of this koan. Most of the information that we have regarding the biographies of these ancient masters comes from one particular source, which is called the Keito Dentoroku, the record of the transmission of the lamp. So this transmission of the lamp, Keito Dentoroku, describes the time of nonsense death as follows. When the master was about to die, the head monk asked him, Your reverence, a hundred years from now, where will you be? I shall be a water buffalo at the foot of the hill, said the master. Will it be all right for me to follow you? Asked the head monk. If you follow me, you must hold a stalk of grass in your mouth, was nonsense reply. At daybreak, on the morning of the 27th of January, 835, the master said to his disciples, the star has been fading and the lamp growing dim for a long time. Do not say that I came or went. His words ceased and he passed away. He was in his 87th year. So this is nonsense. Here is the scene. On a wonderful day like today, Nansen was working outside, outside of his hermitage. And it's still the same mountain where he started in his solitude with the real hermitage. We really don't know what is the timing is this while he was still alone by himself, or is this a time where already many of the disciples had appeared? It really doesn't matter. But he was working. He had this sickle in his hand, and he was probably bent over and cutting grass. So when we look at that, in English, it doesn't say much. Oh, he was cutting grass. But if you look at the characters, you can actually see that it's a specific kind of sickle. It's a sickle that is made to cut Miscanthus sinensis, which is a specific type of grass that grows and that sometimes here in the West is cultivated as an ornamental plant. And in Japan, it's been known for a long, long time, and the Japanese name for it is Suzuki. It's an iconic plant of the late summer, I think where it blooms, and the early autumn. 
going as far back as the first collection of Japanese poetry, the Manyoshu, which it is part of a collection of seven autumn flowers that are very well known in Japan, the Aki no Nanahana or Aki no Nanakusa, because it's a grass. There's also the Hanafuda playing cards. It's the eighth month there. It is decorated with bush clover in the mid-autumn festival, the Ohigan. And miscanthus can be used for thatching roofs. The famous hut thatched with one bundle of straw that Daito Kokushi lived in probably had miscanthus on it. But it's also used for paper making because the fibers are very good for that. So this sickle had a specific purpose. It is made to cut that kind of grass. So it has a fairly long handle. And here is Nansen working. Again, working, what a word. What does work mean? Is he really working? When we look at the characters in the Chinese, there are two characters. And when we read it, they are read as Samu. Samu. Very interesting. So it is not work. Now at Daibosatsu Zendo, we might be thinking, well, Samu is work period. Right. But work work, as we understand it in the Western sense, and Samu are two completely different approaches to the activity. Samu. It has a lot of manual labor in it, Samu. It's really, really important practice. And at the time, think of it here, Nansen as a successor to Basu Doitsu, one of his brother monks is Hyakujo Eikai. Hyakujo, who wrote down and formulated the first rules for the monastic community, including the famous, a day without work is a day without food. A day without Samu is a day without food. When you read Stephen Heine's history of Zen of that era, you will learn that Buddhists at that time were accused of being lazy. And many of the schools actually just went begging. So the Zen school had somehow to show, no, we are not just partaking of the work and the lives of others. We have to be self-sufficient. We have to take the teaching that we are talking about here and turn it in a way that allows us to be self-sufficient. Atta viharata, atta sarana, anana sarana. Do not rely on anything external. That means provide for yourself. So Samu 
became a very important practice for the sustenance of the Sangha. And of course, also for the sustenance of this practice. Because what are we asked to do in Samu? Unlike in work work, where there are work goals to be achieved, that is secondary. Using embodiment, energetic application, zazen in motion, in what we do physically, what we do mentally at the same time, is deep, deep practice. Now, of course, we can't just brush some kind of outcome out of the way. We're not just hacking at that grass any way we want. With the attention, with the dedication to not manifest ourselves as an individual that has specific ideas, but fully completing the job that comes to a place where there is no trace of the person having completed the task. I remember my first Zen teacher, Gendro Seon, he used to say, well, you know, you all have seen when somebody paints a wall, you might not see really the difference in the wall, but all the splatter in front of it is what tells you that there was somebody working here. So, and he admonished us not to do that, not to leave traces when doing Samu, when manifesting ourselves in whatever activity we manifest. So we could say that the misunderstanding of Samu goes in two directions. One is the one direction that Samu, it doesn't matter how the outcome is, but that is as misunderstood as it would be to understand koans like this, just as nonsensical utterances. We all know better. So since Dogen came into play here, let me read to you what Dogen Zenji's commentary on this koan is. This monk is clearly in search of a head to put on top of his own. Nansen kindly reveals the truth for him. Lost in a dream, the monk cannot see past his expectations. However, it should be clearly understood that if you go to the sickle and to understand Nansen, you are already 10,000 miles from the truth. The monk persists. Nansen, like a doting old grandfather, shows him again. 
if he had chased the monk away with the sickle right at the beginning, all of this could have been avoided. Now you tell me, what is the meaning of nonsense holding up the sickle that he bought for 30 cents and his saying, it feels good when I use it, it's really sharp. If you can give a turning word on these points, nonsense effort will, after all, not have been in vain. Dogen's capping verse. Don't be deluded by the words, the great way. Realize that it is nothing other than what you do from morning till night. So here he is cutting the miscanthus. The monk comes. We don't know. Is it a chicken monk, an unsui, or is it a monk with long years of practice? Yet he asks, which way is the road to Nansen? Is he asking, where's the temple? There's a temple around here where the famous master Nansen is teaching. Show me, how do I get there? Nansen clearly hears the question and he holds up his sickle. Does that remind you of something? Wasn't there another character in this Buddhist realm here who was holding up something? Remember the Buddha holding up the flower to Mahakashyapa and the whole assembly. Nansen held up the sickle. It feels to me that he must have paused. Apparently he was not able to elicit a smile or anything like that. So he had to speak. I bought this sickle for 30 cents. So from our point of view of human beings engaged in Zen practice and here in Rinzai Zen practice, the moment the question was asked, which way is the road to Nansen? The combat, the battle has started. We can call it a battle but we can say the interaction of give and take, of fully manifesting oneself. Has the monk asked the question with his full heart? Has he opened up? Has she opened up herself? Have they opened up themselves completely? 
Or is it just a narrow question of using information? So this using of objectifying, making into a tool, falls right into the flavor of Samu, of the sickle, of the question, of the answer. Is it merely means or is it fully manifest? The combat has started, but the monk appears to be unaware. Nonsense. First blow, the sickle goes up. I bought this sickle for 30 coins. Immediately, the questioner is pulled out of the framework of expectations. What? What is this old guy saying? I didn't ask you about your sickle. I asked you about how do I get to nonsense. Again, Nansen gives another kind word to the monk. Saying, I've tried this and it cuts really well. And the characters express, it's, it's almost... This thing really, it, it cuts terrifically. Ah, it's so sharp, you can't believe it. Look at this, this excitement of existence that we see in Nansen here passes by the monk completely. When Dogen says, don't look at the sickle, it is the pointer to the fact that there is no separation for Nansen in his activity of cutting. And what is he cutting? The sickle is also like Manjushri's sword, the sharp blade. It's the same blade that cut the cat. It's the same blade that throughout the many years of his practice cut all the fetters, cut through delusion, attachment, and made nonsense into the free person to completely manifest himself at the moment as the action as the unfolding of the activity of Dharma. Cut, cut, cut. We hear that. Cut means free. Cut means application of oneself. And the cutting through that self 
The sickle is not a tool. The words that Nansen uses are not a tool either. In fact, Nansen is not working at all. Try it in Samu. It's a wonderful place to be. I'm sure those of us who have trained for uh, some time had their Samu experiences. Learning the right balance between application that overly dismisses the outcome to the right balance of planning before so that there will be a usable outcome without being attached to it. A wonderful practice. It is not work. That's why we don't talk during Samu. So Nansen not doing work. What is the thing about the 30 cents? Is Nansen a cheapskate? Oh, hey, this was a great bargain. I went down to the Ocean State job lot or the Walmart and this just cost 30 cents. Is he making any kind of judgment? Again, the characters in that very phrase have the same etari, etari, the excitement, the excitement of having gotten this toy for his play with the universe. As I said before, this is the playground of impermanence. Impermanence as freedom, impermanence as liberated, cut through delusion and attachment, and always continuing to cut through, but not letting what is cut just fall away. Paper can be made from that miscanthus. There are roofs to be thatched and holes, leaks to be covered over. Yet not with a tool. Neither is the sickle a tool, nor is nonsense body a tool. But just interpreting this koan as well, just the ordinary, ordinary, what you do, everything is okay. It's just fine as is would be lied in need of this practice and of the awakening that comes with this application that goes beyond conceptual, judgmental approaches that are cognitive. What can we learn from here? We can learn to play with the wonderful toys the universe has given us, beginning with our minds and bodies, with our hearts, our voices, and when it comes to meeting, when the monk 
the questioner meets Nansen. How do we ask? What is asking? How do we ask in our practice? Do we go to Doksan and ask for something to be given? Do we go to our beloved one and ask to be given? And if asked, how do we respond? There are many ways to respond inappropriately, covered up in one's own entangling vines with leaves that we can't break through. The sickle is necessary to cut through it, to be able to respond. And if this way doesn't work, speak from the heart as who you are and what your activity is. How do we respond in our practice and life? How could a person like Nansen, who is so good at cutting, cut that poor cat into two? It's a question that many ask. It's a gruesome story, but it completely misses the point when we look at it from that point of thinking mind. It's interesting. I'm sure when you read commentaries on the Heikigan Roku, or even if you remember the wonderful koans we heard from the iron flute played upside down with Fugai and Genro commenting, many of those comments are also incisive, which often is the greatest compliment to the person who is criticized within that context. Dogen, for example, Dogen Kigen Zenji, criticized Nansen in the cat koan. In his comment, if we look superficially, he criticizes Nansen, saying something to the effect that Nansen certainly knows how to cut the cat into two. He doesn't know how to cut the cat into one. But when you investigate this koan, this activity, be it what it may, Nansen, himself, Nansen the sickle, Nansen the practitioner, Nansen the full being and reality is the sharp blade. He is the sickle. He is the grass. He is the questioner. And he completely... cuts it into one. 
it is wonderful to be able to partake these ancient stories that are not stories, but that are like the amber that makes human experience that gets encased in them shareable now on this day in this hour in your presence and although we might say yes it's something old and dead to connect to all of that that makes us be alive here see, act, embrace, impermanence, often given a negative connotation, is at the same time the only activity that makes the room for this always changing, always cutting. Let us all cut ourselves together into one. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.